Shahud Ta'awud and Surah Al-Fatiha Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the Fifth, may Allah be his help, has stated Incidents in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that either took place on the occasion of the Battle of Badr or just afterwards were being mentioned. Among these incidents, there is the marriage of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. And so I will mention it here. One day, following the demise of Ummul Mu'minin, the mother of the believers, Hazrat Khadija, that is, may Allah be pleased with her, Khawla bint Hakim, who was the wife of Hazrat Uthman bin Maz'un, may Allah be pleased with him, came to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and said, O Messenger of Allah, do you not wish to marry? The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked, To whom? She replied, If you wish, then you can marry a virgin, but if you intend to marry a widow, then that is also possible. The Holy Prophet said, Who is the virgin? He was told that it was Aisha bint Abi Bakr. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, inquired, Who is the widow? She replied, Sauda bint Zama'ah. She accepts your claim and follows you. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to Khawla, Go and speak to both of their families about me. After receiving permission from the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Khawla left and first went to the house of Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq to discuss the marriage proposal of Hazrat Aisha. Hazrat Abu Bakr was not at home, but his wife, Hazrat Umm Ruman, was present. Hazrat Khawla spoke to her and congratulating her, she said, O Umm Ruman, what an incredible blessing Allah the Glorious has granted you. She inquired, What is this blessing? Hazrat Khawla said, The Holy Prophet has sent me with a marriage proposal for Aisha. Umm Ruman replied, Then you should wait for Abu Bakr to return. After a short while, Hazrat Abu Bakr returned home and Hazrat Khawla mentioned to him the same thing she had mentioned 
to Umm Ruman. Hazrat Abu Bakr inquired, Khawla, tell us what this blessing is. Hazrat Khawla said, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has sent me and I have brought to you a marriage proposal for Aisha. Hearing this, Hazrat Abu Bakr said, Is Aisha's marriage to the Holy Prophet lawful? She is the daughter of his brother. Hazrat Khawla thought about it, and upon returning, she mentioned this comment to Hazrat Abu Bakr, to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Upon this, the Holy Prophet said, Return and tell him that I am your brother in Islam, and you are mine. I am lawfully allowed to marry your daughter, and there is no objection to this. As such, Hazrat Khawla returned and mentioned this to Hazrat Abu Bakr. Upon this, he said, Wait, and left the house. Hazrat Umm Ruman said, Mut'im bin Adi had sent a proposal for his son, for Aisha. By Allah, Abu Bakr has never made a promise which he has broken. Therefore, Hazrat Abu Bakr went to Mut'im bin Adi, and his wife, Umm al Fata' was with him as well. This woman said, O Ibn Kuhafa, if we marry our son to your daughter, then it might be so that you allow him to enter the religion which you are following. Has Abu Bakr said to Mut'in bin Adi, Are you of the same opinion? He asked both husband and wife. He replied, I say the same as she did. Has Abu Bakr passed by Mut'in and Allah removed all the uneasiness from his heart in relation to this promise. When he said that their son would not become a Muslim, that marriage proposal came to an end and his uneasiness was removed. They had made an arrangement about sending a proposal which they were considering, but that matter was finished. He then said to Hazrat Khawla, Send a message to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him from me. Hazrat Khawla then sent the message to him and the Holy Prophet married Hazrat Aisha. This incident has been recorded in Musnad Ahmad bin Hanbal. Hazrat Aisha related that after their marriage, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said, You were shown to me in a dream twice prior to marrying you. I saw an angel who was carrying you in a piece of silk. In another narration it is mentioned, he said, this is your pious spouse. I asked him, remove the cloth. He removed it and I see that it is you. I thought that if this is from Allah Almighty, then he shall surely fulfill it. Then you were shown to me in the dream, whilst you were being carried in a piece of silk cloth. I said, remove the cloth. And he did so. What I saw was you there. I then said that if this is from Allah, He will surely fulfill it. This narration of Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari. In Al-Isti'ab, a book comprising the conditions of the companions, there is a narration of Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, that once Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, asked the Holy Prophet, O Messenger of Allah, peace be upon you, why do you not have the Rukhsati, that is the sending of ceremony, for your wife? He was married to Hazrat Aisha, but the Rukhsati had not yet taken place. 
Hazrat Abu Bakr therefore asked why he had not had the rukhsati yet. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated, It is because of the amount of the meher, that is the dowry. Hazrat Abu Bakr gave him twelve and a half okiyas. One okiyah is equivalent to four dirhams. And the Holy Prophet sent this amount to our home, i.e. the dowry. There is a disagreement among historians, biographers and later narrators in relation to the age of Hazrat Aisha Allah at the time of marriage and others continue to raise allegations due to this. However, in principle, when Hazrat Aisha married, there was nothing out of the ordinary in terms of her age which would have caused the people there to raise any criticism or allegation. If anything extraordinary did indeed happen, the hypocrites and opponents would have vehemently raised an allegation. Yet there is no mention of this in any book. In relation to the books in which the age of Hazaisha has been mentioned as much lower than the ordinary, the Hakam and Adl, that is the judge and just arbiter, and the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has declared them to be baseless sayings. He states that the narrations of Hazrat Aisha being nine years of age are unfounded sayings. This is proven neither in any hadith nor in the Quran. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, has written the following details in relation to the rukhsati of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. After the demise of Hazrat Khadija, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was tied in a bond of matrimony to Aisha Siddiqa, may Allah be pleased with her. This was in 10 Nabawi during the month of Shawal. At the time, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was seven years of age. However, even at the time, it seems that her growth and development had matured remarkably well. Otherwise, there was no reason for Khawla bint Hakim who had suggested this marriage to consider her as being a suitable match for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In any case, she had not fully matured until then. And for this reason, although the nikah had taken place, the Rukhsatana, when the bride goes to live with the groom, was yet to take place, and thus, according to the local custom, she continued to reside with her parents. However, now in the second year of Hijrah, after five years had elapsed, since the announcement of her marriage, she had fully matured at the age of 12. At such, it was Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him himself, who approached the Holy Prophet and requested for the Rukhsatana to take place. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, arranged for the dowry to be paid. And in the month of Shawwal two after Hijri, Hazrat Aisha bid the home of her parents farewell and entered the household of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. This is according to the research of Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib. However, some historians have mentioned her age to be even bigger than this. At the time, the mother of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was residing in the suburbs of Medina, in a place named As-Sunh. The women from among the Ansar gathered there and adorned Hazrat Aisha for her Rukhsatana. Then the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, went there himself. After which Hazrat Aisha bid her home farewell and entered the household of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. With regards to Hazrat Aisha's qualities, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib writes, Despite her young age, the intelligence and memory of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was absolutely remarkable. And under the education and training of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, she developed astonishingly at a most extraordinary pace. 
In actuality, this was the very purpose of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in bringing her to his home at such a young age, so that he could train her from a tender age according to his wishes, and she could receive the longest possible opportunity to remain in his company, so that she could be made fit for the sensitive and magnificent work which fell upon the wife of a law-giving Prophet. As such, the Holy Prophet succeeded in this purpose, and Hazrat Aisha rendered such service in the reformation, education, and training of the Muslim women as is unparalleled in the history of the world. A very large and significant portion of the hadith of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, are based on the narrations of Hazrat Aisha Mirabituzatha. As a matter of fact, the number of her narrations alone reach a grand total of 2,210. The level of her knowledge and wisdom and deep understanding of religion was such that the most eminent companions accepted her as an authority and would benefit from her grace. It is even related in narrations that after the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the companions were not confronted with a single scholarly issue for which Hazrat Aisha did not have an answer. There is a statement of Urwa bin Zubair on record that in knowledge of the Holy Quran, in knowledge of the law of inheritance, in knowledge of lawful and unlawful things, in the science of jurisprudence, in poetry, in medicine, in knowledge of the narrations of Arabia, and in the science of genealogy, I have not seen a greater scholar than Aisha. In virtue and contentment, she possessed such a great status that on one occasion she happened to receive a sum of 100,000 dirhams from somewhere. And before sunset, she had distributed the entirety of it in charity, even though she did not have anything to eat for that evening in her own home. It was due to these very praiseworthy attributes, which had begun to show the splendor, even in the era of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that she was held especially dear by the Holy Prophet. At one instance, the Holy Prophet said, There have been many excellent models among men, but very few among the women. Then the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, named Asiya, the wife of Pharaoh and Mary, the daughter of Imran. Then he continued by saying, Aisha possesses such superiority over the women, as Thareed, which is among the best foods of Arabia, possesses over other foods. On one occasion, some of the other noble wives of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, complained to him about Hazrat Aisha, but he remained silent. However, when his wives persisted, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, What shall I do with these complaints? All that I am aware of is that I do not receive revelation from my God in the quilt of any other wife. But I often receive this revelation in the quilt of Aisha, Goodness gracious, how holy was the wife who was endowed with this distinction and how holy was the husband whose criteria for domestic love was nothing other than sanctity and purity. It is also mentioned in the hadith that in her last days, Sauda bin Zama'a gave her own turn of company with the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to Hazrat Aisha. And in this way, Hazrat Aisha received a double opportunity to benefit from the company of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Since the Holy Prophet was especially concerned for the education and training of Hazrat Aisha, and since she was worthy of receiving special attention due to her age and characteristics, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, accepted this proposal of Sauda. Nevertheless, even after this, the Holy Prophet continued to regularly visit Hazrat Sauda. Unlike his other wives, he would show affection towards her and take care of her comfort. There is a difference of opinion with respect to the literacy of Hazrat Aisha. May Allah be pleased with her. However, it is established by a narration of in Bukhari 
that she was in the possession of a written manuscript of the Holy Quran, wherefrom she personally dictated various verses to a Muslim from Iraq, which in the least proves that she could in fact read. It is most probable that after her Rukhsatana, she learned how to write. The various historians have stated that she was unable to write. Following the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, lived for more or less 48 years and met her beloved Creator in 58 after Hijri, during the month of Ramadan. At the time, she was approximately 68 years of age. Another incident which took place in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and immediately after the Battle of Badr, is in relation to his daughter, Hazrat Zainab, may Allah be pleased with her. She was in Mecca and then later migrated to Medina. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, son-in-law, Abu al-As bin Rabi' was taken as a captive by the Muslims during the Battle of Badr. His wife was in Mecca at the time, and she sent her necklace as a ransom for her husband, which her mother, Hazrat Khadija, had gifted to her on the occasion of her wedding. The individual who brought this necklace was Abu al-As's brother, Amr bin Rabi'. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, saw the necklace, he became very sad and emotional. The Holy Prophet said to the companions, If you deem it appropriate, set free Zainab's husband and also return this necklace as well. The companions submitted, Certainly, O Messenger of Allah. And so Abu al-As was freed and Hazrat Zainab, may Allah be pleased with her, his necklace was also returned to her. However, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, set Abu al-As free on the condition that as soon as he would reach Makkah, he would allow Hazrat Zainab to migrate from Medina. Ibn Ishaq states that upon being set free when Abu al-As arrived back in Makkah, the Holy Prophet sent Zayd bin Haritha and another Ansar companion to remain in Batna Yajaj. Batna Yajaj was situated eight miles from Makkah. The Holy Prophet instructed them to remain there until Zainab went past them and thereafter they should accompany her and bring her to him. And so they immediately set off. This incident took place approximately a month after the Battle of Badr. Upon arriving in Mecca, Abu al-As gave Hazrat Zainab permission to go to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Subsequently, she began to prepare her provisions for travel and Hazrat Zainab states, I was busy preparing the provisions for my journey and Hind bin Utbah said to me, O daughter of Muhammad, I have heard that you wish to go to your father. However, I made an excuse to divert the conversation elsewhere. However, upon hearing this, she said, O Binti Am, do not act in this manner. If you need any provisions which can benefit you in your journey, or require any wealth by which you can reach your father, then I have everything which you may need. Do not be hesitant to ask from me. Women do not harbour such hatred and malice in their hearts as men do. Hazrat Zainab relates, I believe. She said this out of her sincerity. However, I was fearful of her and so I presented some excuse. Ibn Ishaq states that Hazrat Zainab, may Allah be pleased with her, made the preparation for the journey and when she completed her preparations, Abu Al-As's brother, Kinana 
bin Rabi' presented her with a mount, and he then took hold of his bow and quiver and set off with Hazrat Zainab whilst it was still day, and Hazrat Zainab was seated in a palanquin. When the Quraysh came to learn of this, they set out in search of her and found her in the Tawar. The Tawar is a famous valley in Mecca, about half a mile away from Masjid al-Haram. Habbar bin Aswad Fahri went ahead first and frightened the mount with his spear. Hazrat Zainab was expecting at the time and consequently suffered a miscarriage. Following this, her brother-in-law took out an arrow and sat down and announced that if anyone came before him, they would become a target of his arrows. In one narration, it is mentioned that Habbar struck the mount with his spear, which resulted in Hazrat Zainab falling on a rock. As she was expecting at the time, this caused her to miscarry. Nonetheless, upon seeing this unfold, the people returned, at which point Abu Sufyan and the leaders of the Quraysh came. They said, Young man, do not fire any arrows until you have spoken to us. Thus he stopped firing arrows. Abu Sufyan said, What you did was not right. You are taking this woman in broad daylight, whereas you are fully aware of our situation and the deeds of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. When you take Muhammad's daughter in broad daylight in front of everyone, people will think that we have been humiliated and disgraced and that our weakness and feebleness have been exposed. He further said, I swear on my life, we have no need to stop her, nor do we have any strong feelings one way or another. The best course of action would be to take her back when the circumstances change and the situation improves and people learn that we have brought her back, you can secretly take her to her father. Upon this, Kinana agreed. According to Ibn Ishaq, Hazrat Zainab stayed in Makkah for a few days. Then, when the people had stopped talking about the incident, Hazrat Zainab was handed over to Hazrat Zaid and his comrades in the night. They brought Hazrat Zainab to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in the cover of darkness. Imam Bayhaqi has mentioned the incident of Hazrat Zainab migrating from Makkah on the authority of Hazrat Aisha, saying, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, sent Zayd bin Haritha to Makkah with his ring in order to bring Zainab back with him. Zayd very cleverly gave the ring to a shepherd who gave it to Hazrat Zainab. Upon seeing the ring, she recognized it and asked who had given it to him. He said that a man gave it to him who was outside of Makkah. Hence, Hazrat Zainab went outside of Makkah at night and sat behind him, who then brought her back to Medina. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would say that of all her daughters, Zainab had the highest standing because she suffered on account of him. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib has written details of this incident in the life and character of the Seal of the Prophets as follows. In lieu of a monetary ransom, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, set the condition with Abu Al-As that when he returned to Makkah, he would send Zainab to Medina. In this manner, a believing soul was delivered from a house of disbelief. After some time, Abu Al-As also became a Muslim and migrated to Medina. And in this manner, 
husband and wife were once again reunited. With regards to the migration of Hazrat Zainab, it is narrated that when she set out from Makkah to come to Medina, a few people from the Quraysh of Makkah attempted to take her back by force. When she refused, a wretched man named Habbar bin Aswad very barbarically attacked her with a spear. The trauma and shock of the attack resulted in a miscarriage. As a matter of fact, on this occasion, she received such a deep shock that afterwards she was never able to fully recover. Ultimately, it was in this state of weakness and illness that she suffered an untimely demise. This is all I will mention for now. At this time, I would like to make an appeal for prayers relating to the conditions of the world today. Over the past few days, the war between Hamas and Israel has been ongoing, due to which citizens on both sides, including women, children and the elderly, are being killed without distinction or have already been killed. Even in times of war, Islam does not permit the killing of women, children or anyone who is not participating in the war in any way. This is something which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave guidance on in very strong terms. The world is saying, and certain evidence also shows, that Hamas initiated this war and is guilty of killing Israeli citizens indiscriminately. Despite the fact that the Israeli army has previously killed many innocent Palestinians in this manner, Muslims must still act according to the teachings of Islam. Israel is responsible for whatever its army has done and there are many different ways of reaching a solution. If a war is warranted, then it can be fought between armies, not with women, children and the innocent. In this way, the actions of Hamas were wrong. They had more negative consequences than positive ones. The consequences of all that has happened and the war should have remained limited to Hamas and that in reality is what would constitute true bravery and courage. However, now the actions being taken by the Israeli government are also very dangerous. It seems as if there is no end to this situation. The innumerable amount of innocent lives of women and children that will be lost is unfathomable. The Israeli government claimed that they would completely eliminate Gaza and for this, they have dropped many bombs. The 
they have reduced the city to ashes. The latest circumstances are that they have said more than a million people should leave Gaza and some have indeed started leaving. Thankfully, as feeble as it may be, the UN has raised its voice to some degree, saying that this would be a violation of human rights and it would be wrong, leading to many difficulties. As such, Israel should reconsider this order rather than firmly saying that this is wrong. The UN is merely making a request. In any case, the innocent who are not partaking in the war are not at fault at all. If the world considers Israeli women, children and ordinary citizens to be innocent, then the Palestinians are also just as innocent. The teachings of these people of the book also say that such killings are impermissible. If it is alleged that the Muslims were wrong, then these people should reflect on their own conduct as well. In any case, we must pray a great deal. The Palestinian ambassador to the UK gave a television interview here, perhaps to the BBC, and in response to a question said that Hamas is a militant group, not a government, and it has no connection to the Palestinian government. At the same time, he raised the question, and rightfully so, that if true justice were to be established, then such things would not transpire. If major powers did not have double standards, then such restlessness and warfare in the world could never happen. Hence, if these double standards were eliminated, then such warfare would be eliminated. These are the very things which I have been stating in light of Islam's teachings for quite some time. In the moment, people agree. However, they are not prepared to act accordingly. Now all the major powers or Western powers have put justice aside and are uniting in taking harsh measures against Palestinians. And there is talk of armies being sent from all directions. Images of the oppressed are shown to depict the injustices being perpetrated and false reports are shown in the media. One day there will be news about the condition of Israeli women and children and their dire circumstances. The next day it turns out that they were not Israelis but in fact Palestinians. 
Yet the media does not take any accountability for this and there is no sympathy expressed for them. These people simply follow the rule of might is right. They will bend before anyone who has worldly wealth. Upon analysis, it would seem that the major powers are bent on fanning the flames of war rather than putting them out. They do not wish to end warfare. After the First World War, the major powers created the League of Nations in order to bring an end to wars. However, due to not fulfilling the demands of justice and in striving to maintain its own dominance, it failed. Then the Second World War took place and it is said that more than 70 million lives were lost. The same is happening now with the UN. It was created to establish justice in the world, support the oppressed and to try and bring an end to wars. However, these are all far from being reality. Everyone is simply concerned with their own interests. The average person cannot even fathom the harmful consequences of the war that will result from these injustices. However, all the major powers are well aware of the grave consequences. Yet despite this, there is no attention given towards establishing justice. No one is even prepared to pay attention to this. In such circumstances, Muslim nations, at the very least, should come to their senses. They should eliminate their differences and establish unity. If Allah the Almighty has commanded Muslims to better their relationships with the people of the book by saying, Come to a word equal between us and you. And this is referring to the belief in God. Then why is it that Muslims, who all have the same creed, cannot put aside their differences and unite? They must ponder over this and establish unity. This can become the means of eradicating disorder from the world. They should unite and raise a resounding voice for the fulfillment of the requirements of justice and fulfilling the rights of the oppressed, wherever they may be. If they unite as one, then there will also be a power behind their voice. Otherwise, these Muslim governments will be responsible for the loss of innocent Muslim lives. These powers should always remember the guidance of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that both the oppressors and the oppressed must be helped. This important point 
must be understood. May Allah the Almighty grant Muslim governments reason and understanding and enable them to unite and establish justice. May He grant reason and understanding to the world's powers so that rather than leading the world to destruction, they try to save the world from destruction. May their purpose not be to satisfy their egos. They should always remember that when destruction comes, their own powers will not be safe. In any case, all we have is the weapon of prayer, which every Ahmadi should use now more than ever. Some Ahmadi households in Gaza were destroyed. May Allah the Almighty keep them safe. May He keep all the innocent and oppressed safe wherever they may be. May Allah the Almighty grant understanding to Hamas so that they do not become responsible for the cruelties inflicted on their own people, nor should they commit injustices against anyone. If they are compelled to fight, then they must do so according to the commandments of Islam. Enmity for another nation should not lead us away from acting with justice. This is the command of Allah the Almighty. May Allah the Almighty enable the major powers to establish justice on both sides and thereby establish peace. It should not be that they lean towards one side and thus usurp the rights of the other side. May they not commit injustices and cruelties. May Allah the Almighty grant us the opportunity to witness peace and security in the world. After the Friday prayers, I will also be leading two funeral prayers. One funeral prayer is of a deceased member present here. Has the funeral procession arrived? This funeral prayer is of Dr. Bashir Ahmed Khan Sahib. He used to reside here in the UK in the Fazil Mosque area. He passed away a few days ago at the age of 92. He was the grandson of Hazrat Mir Ahmed Sahib, may Allah be pleased with him, and son-in-law of former Amir Jamaat of the Sarhad region. Hazrat Qazi Muhammad Yusuf Sahib, both of whom were companions of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. He was the son of Mahmud Khawas Khan of Peshawar. The deceased was regular in offering prayers and fasting and was deeply devoted to Khilafat. He cared for the needy and was a sincere, pious individual. Under the Nusra Jahan scheme, he dedicated his life and also went to work in the Ahmadiyya Hospital in Tekiman, Ghana, where he had the opportunity to serve there for some time. After returning from Ghana, he had the opportunity of setting up medical camps in villages near Islamabad, Pakistan, along with other Ahmadi doctors. During the time of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV, may Allah have mercy on him, upon his move to the UK, he also diligently performed the duty of preparing the translation and summary of the Friday sermons. He had great love for the Holy Quran. He regularly studied and pondered over the Holy Quran and he also taught his translation to his children. As a child, during the time of Hazrat Muslim Aud, may Allah be pleased with him, he had the opportunity to go and stay in Qadiyan for a long time. He had memorized many of the addresses of Hazrat Muslim Aud, may Allah be pleased with him. Similarly, he also had many excerpts and poems of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, committed to memory. He was a Musi, 
as that is part of the system of Al-Wasiyyah. He is survived by his wife, son and six daughters. His son-in-law, Dr. Musallam al-Durubi, says, He was regular in offering the Tahajjud prayers. He was a pure and faithful person. He was righteous, brave and courageous. And he had extraordinary love for the Jamaat and Khilafat. I learned the precious lesson of having love for the Caliphs from him. The deceased was also very passionate about preaching. He never spared an opportunity to spread the message. Musallam Sahib continues, When I was in Syria and Jordan, and he would visit me, I noticed that he became good friends with my neighbours very quickly. Also, he would also establish good relations with my guards and employees and teach them about the Ahmadiyyat. His wife, Zubaydah Sahiba, says, During the time of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III, may Allah have mercy on him, he was instructed to travel to West Africa under the Nusrat Jahan scheme. With complete obedience, he began to prepare immediately. He made preparations so quickly that it even left me astonished. Our daughter was two months old at the time. But he said that we must make our immediate preparations because this is the instruction of our Imam. So along with our four children, we arrived in Rabwa, had an audience with Hazrat Khalifatul Masih, may Allah have mercy on him, and received guidance. Then we returned to Bannu, handed in my holiday request and began praying, because during those days, there were restrictions in place by the government for doctors to travel abroad. This was also the era of Bhutto. Nonetheless, he was granted permission and we departed. He remained engaged in prayers for alleviating the difficulties owing to not being able to offer prayers in congregation. Somehow Allah the Almighty would resolve those difficulties and he was able to pray in congregation. His wife continues, When Allah the Almighty enabled us to purchase a car, he also brought his friends along to the mosque and transported them back home. He was very happy to do this for them. When we were given a home close to the Fazl Mosque, he was delighted that he could offer all the five daily prayers in the mosque. He looked for every opportunity to serve his faith. He never spared an opportunity to preach. He always paid his janda, that is obligatory subscriptions, on time and also advised us to do the same. May Allah the Almighty bestow his mercy and forgiveness and enable his children to carry on his virtues. The other funeral prayer, which is in absentia, is of Wasima Begum Sahiba, wife of Dr. Shafiq Segal Sahib. Shafiq Segal Sahib was the former Amir Jamaat of the Multan region. He served as a Naib Ukeel with Tasneef. She passed away at the age of 89. Surely to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. She was a Musya. She is survived by her husband and three sons. Her husband, Dr. Muhammad Shafiq Sahil, writes, My wife was the granddaughter of Hazrat Sheikh Mushtaq Ahmed Sahib, a companion of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. She was the daughter of the late Justice Sheikh Bashir Ahmed of Lahore. 
She was also the niece of Sayyida Ummi Wasim. She had a bond of complete devotion to Khilafat and always remained loyal. Her grandson, Muhyiddin, writes, My grandmother had a great spirit of sacrifice. She frequently read the Quran Khazain. He further says, Because my grandfather is a life devotee, I once asked my grandmother if she too was a life devotee. She responded by saying that the caliphs have said that the wives of life devotees are also life devotees. Aisha, her daughter-in-law, who is also her niece, says, My aunt was very friendly and loved by all. In the pledge for the Lajna, women promised to sacrifice their life, wealth, time and children And she was an example in fulfilling this pledge. She further says, After my marriage, she imparted great moral guidance to me pertaining to many matters. She also taught me the word-by-word translation of the Holy Qur'an. Then Zakia, her daughter-in-law and niece, says, My aunt helped the poor and was an exemplary woman. She loved everyone. She never opposed anything said by her husband. She was a great benefactor who was always prepared to help others. Her sister Naima Jamil Sahiba says, She was kind like my mother. I was widowed at her age of 50, but Allah the Almighty sent her to me in the form of an angel. She always helped me in everything and guided me. She further says, She was devout in her worship, but she also paid great consideration toward fulfilling the rights of mankind. She took on the responsibility of ensuring many girls were married. She never considered even a poor villager beneath herself. She always tried her utmost to financially support any employees who were in need. May Allah the Almighty bestow His mercy and forgiveness upon her. May He enable her children to carry on her virtues. وينهى عن الفحشاء 
والمنكر والبغي يعزكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم ودعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله أكبر